Research says that one in four women and one in six men have experienced some kind of sexual trauma or abuse. Today's guest, Chris Bruno, therapist and founder of Restoration Project of Northern Colorado, shares how everyone experiences this kind of debris from past sexual experiences and brings it to their marriage. But it's possible to stand shoulder to shoulder with your spouse and heal in order to bring more intimacy and connection to your marriage. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Danielle and Justin once again. Welcome to episode 65 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Each week we're bringing you experts and couples sharing their stories to get you building more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having the conversations that matter. That's right. All this month we're bringing you sex. Yes. And the past two weeks we're filled with ways to challenge and grow (laughs) and have fun in your sexy time together. And this week we're going to turn a corner. Yes, this week we have a bit of a different tone because in this conversation we are going to uncover sexual trauma that's occurred in the past, three steps to healing from trauma, and how to become a spouse that catalyzes the healing process. That's right. We want you to engage in these conversations with your spouse in order to bring you closer together. Because the fact is, avoiding talking about sex will leave you feeling more and more isolated from one another. One of the things I really love about what Chris Bruno shares in this conversation is that he says over and over, the place for healing is inside your relationship. Yes. And you and I talk about this quite a bit. Um, Just the idea that... All of your life (laughs) comes into your marriage. It's not like your marriage or your kids or your family is an isolated event. Every aspect of your life lives within your marriage because you're a married person. Yeah. Because anything that was in your past, guess what? You bring it to your marriage. So it's the place to heal. And who better to do it than with me, honey? Yes. Exactly. I don't know. I'm not the most comforting healing no, type person. Not not particularly. I always have, I wouldn't say compassion is your strongest gifting. I am a good listener usually. Yeah. I feel like I'm a better listener with my friends than I am with you. I feel that way too sometimes. <laughs> I mean, to be honest. <laughs> Sorry, honey. You know, your friends and the kids get 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 all the good stuff and I get the dregs. I don't know about dregs. That's taking it a little it's far. okay. Your dregs are better than most people's best. Thanks. <laughs> you see what I did there? Getting the laugh? I know. You're always getting the laugh. Honey. Yeah. But it's not all laughs, is it? No, not really. I mean, we talk about a lot of pain in this show. Yes. And the fact of the matter is, diving in and talking about these hurt, broken, wounded places in our lives is a powerful way of building intimacy and connection in the relationship and also of just creating freedom for one another. It's tough because you do have to go through the painful part to get to the good stuff that's on the other side. Which is why I'm so excited to share with everyone one of my favorite people in the whole world, Chris Bruno. Chris is a licensed professional counselor and founder of Restoration Counseling of Northern Colorado. He believes that there's nothing more exciting than the intersection of transformation and adventure. I had the benefit a couple years ago of going out to Colorado and working with Chris and spending three days in the mountains with him and processing through a bunch of stuff. And it was, it was really transformational for my life. 
Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I love how you came back a new man. So thanks, Chris. <laughs> and I still have a lot of work to do. But moving on, Chris specializes in sexual addiction, trauma, and abuse and challenges men and couples to daily engage the power of restoration through epic restoring. It's a phenomenal interview. Let's get to it. So thanks for being on the show today. So you are a therapist and we've had, I think maybe one other therapist on the show before. I feel like there's a lot of stigma, especially for married couples about making that choice to like invite a therapist into their life together. Yeah. Like it's just crazy. I I, I mean, I should have reached out to Chris like two years before I did (laughs) (laughs) because of that thing. Like, Oh, I'm too crazy or it's going to, you know, having a counselor is going to prove that I'm crazy or I'm too broken or, or that's for people who are crazier than me or whatever. And it's all just a bunch of bunk. Yep. It's all a bunch of bunk. Um, I feel like healthier people go to counseling. Yeah. I I was going (laughs) to say like now after the experience I had with Chris, when we say something to somebody like, Hey, if you want a, a name of a good counselor, we can refer you to somebody. It's always Chris and his team. That's like, right. Just sneak yeah. peek behind the scenes. Whenever we mention a counselor, it's it's Chris and his team. So Chris, how did you get into counseling yeah. and really having a heart for people going through sexual addiction and trauma? Well, so I got into counseling because I needed counseling. <laughs> I mean, really, that's the basic yeah. structure of that. But I really agree with you guys that when it comes to counseling, there's a huge stigma, but I believe that really the bravest people in the world are the ones that end up on the couch because they're the ones that are saying, hey, the way life is going right now is not how I want it to be or how I always envisioned it to be or really what I was designed to be. And so I'm going to go after that. I'm going to go after life like really I want to live. So it has a lot less to do with being crazy and, and more to do with uh, hope and desire. Um, so for me personally, that's where I was. Uh, I wanted something more. I wanted something more in life. I wanted to press into some categories and areas of my own upbringing and background and a story that I was tripping over and uh, in my life and relationships and my work and my ministry, whatever that was. Uh, and I just needed to get into it. So when I started going uh, into the process of becoming a counselor, uh, I really found that there was a lot more healing that I had than I could ever offer anybody else. Um, so, so tell us a little bit more about your work with married men and women. Oh, yeah. Well, Justin really uh, gave me a run for my money there. Uh, when <laughs> <I came out. laughs> no, I know the, I'm a slippery client. Yeah. Yes, welcome to my world, Chris. Yeah. It's every day. Intentional. It's every not day. intentional, but it's yeah. True. Slippery is a really good word, Justin. I feel like that, uh, <laughs> that nailing jello to the wall or, you know, trying to figure out like, how am I going to get you to move? No, it was, it was really fun to have you come out here to Colorado. Um, and I really enjoyed our time. And we made so, it a really fun time. Yeah, we did. Like we, we, I, I spent three days with Chris and we spent part of the time just in the office uh, on the couch, like you said. And part of it, we hit the trail and just got to sit and watch a beautiful sky roll by at the top of a mountain. I've and, never heard counseling described as fun before. Is that possible? Uh, oh. Looking back, it was fun. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's fun, painful. Yeah. yeah. I think you've done some other uh, podcasts about fun, painful. 
recently. Um, <laughs> so the we'll get into that later. Yeah, the the thing that for me with men and, and marriages and counseling is, I really feel like both men and women have uh, a rough go. But I think particularly in my heart for men, it is as I see guys uh, really step into, like I said before, who they were created to be, really designed in, uh, in some really glorious ways and yet so deeply attacked and so deeply marred. Um, when men can really step into that great design, uh, the whole marriage begins to change. The whole relationship begins to change. Uh, I'll say the same about women too, but just in a different way. Um, so I love really seeing marriages uh, reformed, restored when, uh, when the guys can really step in. And at the same time, I work with couples and there's a lot that comes into a marriage that we don't even know, like we've brought, like we have, uh, massive, massive backpacks full of large rocks that we're bringing in, uh, weighing us down in some ways that we're not even aware when we step up to that altar and say, I do. Uh, and I think a lot of the work that we need to do after uh, after marriage is uh, identifying what those are and really learning how to put those down and with the help of our spouse. Yes. You know, Chris, you use the term, everybody walks into marriage with some level of, of debris. Yeah. Uh, speak more to that. Yeah. And I'm just curious too. It's like, so obviously some people know that they have like abuse or trauma and specifically in this episode, we're speaking to sexual abuse and trauma. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some people, I, I feel like it's probably pretty obvious, but you say that everybody's got some level of debris. Like, how do you know if you have something in your past that needs to be healed? Um, if your heart is beating, you have something in your past yeah. that to be healed. Because here's the thing is that, and especially when I'm working with people, I'll often talk about childhood uh, because that is where most of that, that debris gets formed and people immediately go to, Oh crap, what am I doing to screw up my kids? Um, and the reality is you are, you are screwing them up and there are some ways to mitigate the screw ups with your own kids, but really to look at your own life first. So I say that, you know, kind of facetiously, like if your heart is beating, you have debris, but the reality is we do. And it is in the early formation of our, of our little beings and our little minds that we come to understand who we are, how relationships are, uh, how do I relate to the world? Like, if, who is God? Uh, what is this earth like? Like all that we're learning and learning and learning. And we get most of our impressions and our learning, our imprint from our parents. And whether it is for good or for ill, that is, that is where we learn who we are in relation to other people. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of born into the world with this level of innocence. And when I say the word innocence, I mean uh, naivety, that we have a level of naivety of what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is, what is wrong, what feels good and what feels bad. And the moment that we begin to experience some things that feel bad, uh, whether that is a stomachache or falling and scraping your knee, or whether that is a stern look from your father or, um, you know, a coach that is on the, you know, your basketball coach that is yelling at you from the sidelines. Those are things that shape us. And they're not just simple events in our lives. They create emotions in, in our little in our little people. And then from those emotions and events that happen in our lives, we develop something called interpretations. And that interpretation is, I now understand as a result of that event and that emotion, who I am, how I will relate to the world. And we form up these belief structures or agreements or vows that we make that, you know, I will never lose another basketball game. 
or I will never speak my heart again, uh, or I am always going to be alone. And it's those kinds of rocks that we form and we throw those in our backpack that we live with most of our lives really unknowingly until we are confronted with the intimacy of a relationship that is looking into our backpack. And that's going to be a spouse. Uh, Really, no one else comes that close. I wonder, this is something that I wonder too, because obviously those big T trauma kind of things where, you know, someone molested you as a child or something like that, it's probably pretty obvious to people that that is something that's going to affect their marriage or affect life in the long run. But what are some of those little kind of T trauma things that may show up as a childhood or previous experiences that may need to be healed through in order to have like a healthy sex life with our spouse? Yeah, great question. Um, So first of all, not everybody knows that they've been abused. There is a significant sense of dissociation from the abuse, uh, either that there's no memory of it or very little memory of it, or there is some level of diminishment that what happened to me is nothing big. It really is not that big of a deal. Um, and I should just let, you know, let, let it roll off my back. The third option there is also uh, that I participated. There was something that I did in that engagement with that other kid or with the abuser or whatever that caused this. And so there's immense, immense shame. So because of the shame, we want to hide it and we want to keep it you know, under wraps and really not address it. So when we're talking about sexual abuse uh, in a childhood past, it is very difficult to name. Uh, it is very difficult to bring out and, and be part of the conversation in an actual healing way. Um, so that's the first piece that I think that really should be addressed. Sometimes people are aware that there is abuse in the past. Um, and it is, like you said, one of those big T traumas. But there's sexual abuse that is little T traumas. There is uh, inadvertent exposure to your father's pornography. Uh, there are the lewd comments that your uncle makes as you as a 13-year-old girl walk by, um, right? There's Those are abusive as well. And those are those little T traumas that really have the same same effect. Uh, they have that same kind of mental shaping effect, the the emotional shaping effect that the trauma has. Uh, and those things need to be addressed as well. How have I been held uh, well, uh, and I mean emotionally held well, uh, by someone else? How have I been objectified? How have I been dismissed? How have I been exposed to sexuality that is far beyond what my little brain was ready to handle? You know, I, I, I hear something in that uh, just about the nature of abuse we so often contextualize it we, like we see in the news not that long ago the family out in california 13 kids or something like that and we we picture that and at least i know i do or the gymnastics and I coach go, that's right. run and, amok and i go well that's not my story so yeah yeah my story isn't at least it's not that and there's a certain amount of perspective in a healthy place that goes, yes, thank God, that's not my story. Yeah. Um, But there's something about the nature of abuse. Can you speak to that? Yeah. I I love the Me Too movement that has happened here. And I hate it because uh, first I love it because it's, it's allowed the topic of abuse to become part of regular everyday conversation. It's allowed for some greater like societal awareness and 
kind of exposure to the reality of what sexual abuse is. Now, what it also has done is it has made it an issue for celebrities. It's made it an issue that is a big kind of a deal. Like you just said, well, that's not my story. I didn't didn't have some big celebrity make advances to me, or I didn't have uh, this well-known person, you know, or this gymnastics coach, the Olympic gymnastics coach, whatever it may be. Like that's not my story. My story happened once when I was visiting, you know, my grandparents. That's not really sexual abuse. So that's why I say it really diminishes what abuse is, and it puts it in a completely different category. I love how you said the place for healing is within your marriage. And so what types of things might start to show up, whether it's during a sexual encounter or outside of that with your spouse that might indicate that past experience is creeping in or affecting life today? Well, So first of all, there is no way that within the context of this podcast that we'll be able to answer that question. Sure. (laughs) So I want to make that very giant question. um, Sure. Reduce it down to maybe what we can address. I think a couple things come to mind. So first of all, within the marriage encounter, uh, like I said, yes, what is broken in relationship is healed in relationship. And so sexual abuse is obviously a brokenness in our relationship with someone or something. And that uh, when we come to a marriage, it is the potential to heal what has been broken in that relationship by an engagement that is from a completely different perspective. What often happens is that sex becomes an event. It becomes something that we do rather than an expression of uh, who I am and my passion for you and my love for you and my vulnerability with you. So when we're talking about, you know, in a sexual encounter in a marriage, the first question that I often have is, is sex right now something that you do or something that you are? Is it an expression of something that you are wanting to offer to the other person, not just to have a good time or get off, but more of a sense of uh, this, is, this is a place of vulnerability and desire. Now, most of the time it is an event uh, because of past abuse, past pornography, past relationships, whatever it may be that we look at it from an event perspective. The other thing uh, to be aware of is what level of objectification do I offer or do I receive? Am I an object for my spouse in order for them to, you know, get off or whatever? Or is there some level of deep engagement with me personally? Sex is far more than what happens in the bedroom. Uh, the, The world of sensuality has to be part of a relationship where it's an engagement with beauty and all the senses, right? The good smells, the good tastes, the good uh, sights, like all the the good touches, all those things happen outside of the bedroom. Is that also happening and not just intercourse? So when we have sexual abuse in the background, the objectification, the personal dissociation, like I'm I'm, I'm leaving my body while this is happening kind of things. I'm thinking of other people or other experiences that I've had while I'm engaging with my partner. All of those are great indicators. Yeah, there's something else that's in the bedroom here besides the two of us. Uh, Other people have entered in, other situations, other memories have entered in that I need to address. So where do we go from there? (laughs) How do we we start healing? What the heck do we do with all that? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing I think would be an acknowledgement and an awareness that those things are happening. Okay, naming something and and bringing it into uh, the space where it's not just 
separate from me. It's not just in the background. It is an acknowledgement that, hey, there's something going on, is an indicator that the couple that can acknowledge uh, is an indicator of their ability to heal because it means that we're aware. And it also means that we're able to vulnerably engage one another around topics that are powerful uh, and that are filled with shame. So the first is to acknowledge to one another, hey, there's something else that's going on here. And then the second is to begin to work um, either personally with the spouse, with the counselor, uh, whatever, to, to begin to work around what is it that actually has formed my identity and understanding of myself as a woman, understanding and, uh, of myself as a man, uh, what is femininity and masculinity meant for me? And how have I come to know myself as a man or as a woman? And most of the time where there is some kind of sexual abuse in the background, that will be in the crosshairs. That will be in the primary attack is your understanding of yourself as a man or as a woman. Great conversations to have, very vulnerable conversations to have uh, as a couple. We're better to have them. <laughs> We're better to have them. But here's the other piece is where... Where is there more risk? Nowhere else is there right. Yeah, than with your partner. What I hear you saying in that is asking yourself the question: What do I believe to be deeply true about myself as a man or a woman? And where would we start that? Do we start with prayer or journaling or like how would we even start to uncover those those things we believe to be true about ourselves? The first place I would say is if you look back over the course of your life and you look at kind of the basic itinerary of what has been the story that has brought you to the place in relationship where you are right now with this person, okay, kind of do this general, you know, 30,000 foot Passover of what does the topography of my life look like? Then to begin to say, where are the shifts that happened in my life? Where are the things that really um, had a, a before and after, a hinge point moment in my life where uh, it was the moment that we moved from this house to this house, or it was the moment that grandma died, or it was the moment that this event happened with this coach. You'll begin to go from 30,000 down to about 10,000 to where you, you, know, you get a little bit more of a glimpse of what that looks like. Then as you begin to journal and uncover and maybe talk with a friend, uh, a trusted friend, talk with a spouse, talk with a counselor, you begin to understand, okay, what was not just the what that happened, but the experience of what happened? How did it feel? What happened there that made me feel good, made me feel shame, made me feel close, made me feel desire? Uh, what was it that was going on there? And That's so interesting too, because a lot of, it, it depends on your perspective too, because you had used the example of like, I stumbled upon my dad's porn magazine. And one person could see that as, oh, I forgot to take out the recycling bin because there's a big pile of magazines. And what? another, well, I mean, like it's a pile no, you're of not, magazines. You're not whatever. equating it. You're, no, no, no. Okay. I get, I'm just I get saying that the, the perspective of it could be way different to another person that stumbled across it. That could be a pivot point in their whole life Absolutely. where another person, it wouldn't even register hardly at all. Absolutely. It, the, the thing is, is that um, those big T traumas and little T traumas that we have in our lives are all from our own perspective and as a result of our own story, right? So when, you know, here in Colorado, we have a couple of places where there are massive formations of sand. They're called the sand dunes, the national sand dunes. There's some in the northern part of Colorado and the southern part of Colorado. 
Now, in if you're in the middle of them, right, you might feel like they're a desert. So it, it's just a matter of you being, but are you in the middle of a desert in the scope of the world? No, there's much more like massive deserts in the world than what you've experienced. But because you're in the middle of them here in Colorado, that's what you're experiencing as a desert. So when you trip across your father's pornography magazines or there is a lewd comment that an uncle makes, that for you may have been the most shattering moment of your little girl or little boy's life. But for another person, uh, it's, it's an inconsequential moment. Uh, it really is depending on you and your own makeup, your own uh, background, your own family story, your own personality, just how you engage the world. Now, I will say that anywhere... Anywhere where there is some kind of sexuality that is too early introduced, there will be some harm. There will be some harm, some shame, uh, and some awareness that, that something has happened there. Uh, it's just, we're just not designed for it, right, until we're adults. But in our world today, it's just inundated us everywhere that we look. So first of all, an awareness. Second mm -hmm. of all is like, how does it influence your identity? And the yeah. third was... The third piece there is for you to actually take some significant steps toward it instead of away from it, to explore it, to rummage through it, to, to look into what is it that actually shattered there in that moment uh, for me. And um, specifically, remember I mentioned the word innocent, meaning naive. What was it I came to know that I was not yet ready to know? We'll be back to our conversation with Chris Bruno in just a minute, but we want to take some time to tell you about an opportunity we don't want you to miss. Yeah, we talk about this all the time, how important having a community around you really is. It's important for men to have a group of men. It's important for women to have a group of women. And it is essential for couples to have a community of other couples around them. So join us each Thursday evening at 8 o'clock Central for the Marriage Masterclass, where we break down those tough conversations that couples really need to have to build more intimacy and connection in your marriage. And we'll give you the skills that you need to come out on the other end even closer than ever. And get this, we only offer this inside of our community on Facebook. So check it out at legendarymarriage.com slash community. Come join our tribe of couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage and be a part of the conversation. We know you'll love it. And now back to our conversation with Chris Bruno. So for example, in the moment of you know finding pornography on the coffee table or whatever under the bed, those things kind of arouse parts of a little boy or a little girl, arouse parts of an understanding of what sexuality is and draw that child into a place of, uh, of exploration and engagement. Well, most of the time, these kinds of addictions like pornography addiction is not about sex. It's about what's going on in the heart. It's about what that little child actually needs and finds in the midst of that sexuality to meet those desires and those needs. When it comes to sexual abuse, uh, in the background, that's where that little boy or little girl is experiencing some kind of shame about who they are, some kind of trauma, body trauma that has occurred uh, in their lives that they are afraid of offering to their spouse. Maybe there's some kind of perspective, like I said, around femininity. The femininity is now dangerous because it caught the eye of my uncle. Or masculinity is dangerous because it's uncontrollable. Uh, and so we have to address those deeper levels, those deeper issues of what did I come to interpret about myself, the world, or others, particularly in the area of sexuality. Now, how do you engage mm. with your spouse? You said the best way 
to do this healing journey is with your spouse and inside your marriage. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you support one another in that journey of healing? Sexuality or sexual abuse is bereft of honor. It Mm -hmm. just, there is no honor within sexual abuse. And so I think the number one thing that the spouse can give to the one who has been abused is first and foremost to honor to honor their space, to honor their body, to honor their words, to honor their eyes. Uh, And that might be uh, a step away from sexual engagement for a season. That might be uh, a slowing down or a reintroduction of sexuality in a kind way versus in the violent way that it was introduced uh, as a child. So the first thing that I would say is to honor. And then the second thing would be to pace the process in such a way that allows the abused spouse to be the director, to allow for there to be some ownership and agency for the abused spouse to to say, okay, these are things that I need to work out. Here are the ways that I'm going to work it out with you, my my spouse, with uh, a counselor, with a friend, by reading some books, whatever. Here's how I'm going to do it. But to do so in a pacing that feels right and good for the abused spouse. And that's very, very difficult very difficult for the other to not have their quote unquote needs met for a while or to not to to not do so in a way that has already been part of the marriage and now all of a sudden oh my gosh I have these memories of abuse and oh my gosh my body is now remembering these things it requires a lot of patience and a lot of love uh, and a lot of kindness in the process yeah it could bring to highlight the the notion so if your spouse comes and says hey this is what I've got going on and I need some compassion and some some patience and everything I think that can even bring to light some of the view of, you mentioned earlier, the idea of seeing sex as an activity as opposed to an expression. Yeah. And it's a great place to do a gut check. Yeah. A great place to do a gut check. And also, and this is even taking it one level deeper, also to recognize how you as just for the sake of argument here, uh, this conversation, I'll say the woman is the one who's been abused. The husband is the spouse. To, to take it to the level deeper to say where the, where the husband says, I want to both honor your body and also recognize how I have colluded, I have reenacted, I have in some way because of who I am potentially harmed you further by how I have treated your body, how I have engaged your body up until this point. It is an actual ownership and apology and a, and a renewal of trust because most of the time sexual abuse is reenacted. It is reenacted within a relationship. Even a loving, good marriage is reenacted unbeknownst to us uh, in the background. So that a gut check on how I'm approaching it and then also an apology of how I may have participated. Yeah. And you use the, the term participated. Can you kind of define that for our audience a little bit? Yeah participated uh, in, uh, I want to just say like unknowingly participated, maybe knowingly, but unknowingly most of the time, participated in uh, the kinds of comments I've made to you, the way that I have asked you to engage me sexually that you weren't ready for, uh, or that you felt uncomfortable with, the way that I have made comments, uh, the way that I have, you know, demanded things from you that, that you hesitant in or the way that I've turned up the volume on your shame by commenting about your weight, you know, whatever it may be, those kinds of things, this ownership of how I've participated in the assault on your body and on your sexuality and and gender. Yeah. 
assuming that you do engage in the difficult work of healing through past trauma and past abuse, what is possible for a married couple on the other side of healing? Yeah, great question. Um, it is hard work. I, will, I, I don't want to minimize the hard work of what that is. But like I said, what is broken in relationship is healed in relationship. And whatever is shrouded, whatever is lost, whatever innocence is, is lost there can be uh, through these things, this honor and the reduction of shame and the apology of participation, uh, be renewed. Uh, it's almost like this uh, beautiful little flower that was growing as a child got uh, scorched by the sun and you as the spouse are tending carefully to that garden in order to uh, revive that plant. And I think once, once these things are addressed in a relationship, it is, it is as if that plant um, really has a new life uh, and is able to blossom and grow in the way that it was originally designed to, to blossom and grow. So uh, I, I do think that healthy sexuality can come back. I think a, a celebration of, cel of, of sexuality can, can come, uh, maybe for the first time uh, in a relationship, even if the couple's been married for 20 years, uh, right? A, a newness in relationship can come. And uh, I'll just come back to this place of delight, that delight as it was meant to be is, is renewed in a relationship in ways that never you know, if this had not been addressed, uh, could never have lived. Yes. Yes. What words of encouragement, just in wrapping up, what words of encouragement would you have for couples that feel like their sex life may be impacted by abuse? How can, how can they even have the hope yeah. <laughs> and encouragement to move forward? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think every couple should do some reflection and assessment. Uh, because as I said at the beginning, you're like all of us have been assaulted in our sexuality. All of us have, have had experiences uh, or seen things that we shouldn't have. So I think I would encourage every couple to go back and do some assessment and review of their own lives. Uh, and where is it that we are not free uh, where is it we experience shame? Where is it that uh, sexuality has become more event-focused than expression-focused? That'd be uh, an encouragement. But then also uh, for those that actually know that there is uh, some kind of significant, more larger T trauma that they've experienced, um, my encouragement is to face the darkness because when we face the darkness and we have the courage to step into that dark room, especially especially when we have a loving spouse at our side, um, that things can be different, that this was not how they were designed to be. Uh, the anemic sex life, this emptiness, this expressionless sex life was not how we were meant to engage. And uh, my, my encouragement is that the darkness, it only takes one match to make the darkness flee, right? It only takes a little bit of light to make the darkness flee. And then you get a taste of it and you want more and you want more and you want more. So you don't have to completely eradicate or turn on the light in the whole room. You just need a little flashlight and that will give you hope to take the next step. Jeez, man, how is it you get me like this every single time? It's hard. Um, oh, goodness, Justin. Um, so here's what I'm wondering. If there are couples out there, they've got that match. You, you've kind of lit that match and they're like, yeah. wow, there, there is some stuff here. Um, if they're wanting to engage with you, 
mm-hmm. you know, do some of the work that you're doing, how do our couples get started with that? Great. Well, um, the first thing I would suggest is uh, my good friend Dan Allender wrote two amazing books. So I would really encourage couples. This is a great starting point. Okay. So the first book uh, is called The Wounded Heart. The second book is called Healing the Wounded Heart. And it is one that he wrote 25 years after the first. And it's about uh, deeper engagement. Uh, I think there's some fantastic material in there for couples to engage. I really suggest that the couple do that uh, together and or with a small group of some kind. To connect with us, uh, you can get on our website, restorationcounselingnoco.com, which is, stands for Northern Colorado. I do these, uh, this is what Justin came out and did. He did an intensive, and it doesn't always have to be about abuse in the background. It can be about anything that feels like you're in a stuck place that, uh, that you want to engage. So an intensive is a three-day out here in Colorado. And, uh, and then also uh, many of us here at Restoration Counseling are available for the weekly sessions and also can do those online. Um, so we can offer that kind of help online. So that's a great way to get in touch with us. When I first reached out to Chris, it wasn't about uh, abuse or anything like that. It was just being in a place of being stuck, looking at the last few years of my life and going, man, I I haven't been able to do this on my own. And and I'm recognizing that there's a story that keeps replaying here Yeah, and reached out. And, And to be really honest, through the course of our conversations, there were some things, some some forms of abuse, and, and that that turned up that you didn't even really realize. That, that I didn't really think about, or or mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. Like I didn't really think about it. Oh well, it wasn't you know being chained in someone's basement for 13 years, so yeah. it doesn't count. And right. it was just a great experience to bring some compassion and curiosity for myself. Yeah, and really change the trajectory. I mean, we wouldn't be here. We would not be here yeah. um, doing this podcast uh, amongst a, a whole host of other things if, if I hadn't taken that road trip out to Colorado and, yeah. and spent a weekend. All right. Anything else for the good of the order? I think the other thing that people need to realize is that uh, it, we need to get into the deeper story. It's not just about behavior management. It's not just about how I am engaging my life today. It is how are these deeper stories driving who I am and how I engage both in life and work and marriage, uh, all relationships, what are the deeper stories? And that I think is really important to get into and not just some kind of behavior management. Yeah, there's freedom on the other side of that, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Chris, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I hate the fact that we have to have these conversations. And yet I know how important it is for us and for every couple, I think, to notice the debris, as Chris puts it, and how it follows into your relationship and into the bedroom and um, how important it is to talk about it in a way that brings healing and restoration. One of the biggest things that hit me was no matter who you are, whether you have a big T or a little T trauma or you're just anybody, there is a past that follows you into the bedroom with you. So I remember in the episode, he has three questions that he poses. Yes. And I want to challenge our listeners to have a conversation 
with those three questions, and we'll post them in the show notes, to uncover any sexual debris you may be bringing into your bedroom. So like I said, we'll include those in the show notes and have the time to have that conversation. All right. So while we encourage you to keep talking about sex, uh, we're going to turn another corner next week and start focusing in the next month on spiritual growth. And so we have a phenomenal interview with Ms. Amy Simpson, author of the brand new book, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied. Yeah, we're going to have a conversation about how satisfaction may not be a desirable goal for us. And we'll just talk about living a fulfilling life, even while dealing with some mental health issues within our family. Wow, I can't wait for this. It's a great book. And Amy is a phenomenal Uh, human being. So let's listen into a bit of our conversation with Amy Simpson. And most of us are seeking satisfaction, at least to some degree, I think, in our relationship with Christ. And we often approach him as if he's the answer to both our natural appetites and our consumeristic desires. So we take those tendencies that we have to turn to our appetites and try to satisfy them, or to turn to consumerism and try to get more stuff. And rather than ask Christ to transform our desires, we expect him to either take them away or to make um, or morph himself into the solution that we're wanting. And naturally, I think we all aim for satisfaction, but Amy just brings up a refreshing perspective on a spiritual issue that can leave us feeling unsure or disappointed. And we'll get to all of that next week. You won't want to miss it. We'll talk about the hot topics from the podcast in our Facebook group this week and every week. So come join the conversation in our free community on Facebook. It's a private group for men and women to support, encourage, inspire, and share about transforming your marriage from ordinary to legendary. Just search for Legendary Marriage Group or visit legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 065. Finally, please help us out. We want to help more couples have conversations that matter. So jump onto iTunes or your podcast app and subscribe, rate, and review the show so that we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary.